0: You're listening to a message from Redeemer Bible Church. We hope you'll visit us in person, or you can find more messages like this one at redeemerbiblechurch.com. So please take your copy of the Scriptures and turn to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. And we're going to look at verses 33 through 37. As you are finding the text, I want you to think about some of the pithy sayings you've heard throughout your life. Those memorable sayings repeated over and over by people like your parents, grandparents, teachers, coaches. I had an eighth grade teacher who liked to say two things I'll never forget. Uh, Since we were not allowed to chew gum in class or eat candy, if she saw you chewing something, she would say, Mr. Redberg... If God or the dentist didn't put it in, take it out. (laughs) Some of you are going to use that uh, in some form or fashion. She was also fond of correcting our, our mocking and our making fun of each other by saying, Mr. Redberg, think before you speak. Something I heard a lot growing up. Think before you speak. Is it true, kind, or necessary? And of course, the obvious answer was always no to all three of those qualifications, in fact, as I was thinking about this over the past week, it occurred to me that most of the pithy statements I can remember had something to do with my speech. Well, friends, the word of God has much to say about our speech because our words expose our hearts. Our words are inescapably connected to our inner longings and desires. As John MacArthur has memorably stated, your Tongue will tell on your heart. This is precisely what we'll see in our text this morning as Jesus corrects yet another misunderstanding and misapplication of the Old Testament law. This time it has to do with the integrity of our words and the necessity of honesty. So we've been walking through this section of the Sermon on the Mount for the last few weeks, a section that is tied together by a particular Pattern, you'll find the same construction six times in verses 21 through 48. Jesus refers to something established in the Old Testament law. You have heard that it was said. And Jesus is highlighting ways in which the Pharisees and teachers of the law had manipulated the scriptures, they had turned biblical commands into legalistic behavioral rules. And many had fallen prey to this unbiblical way of thinking. So, in exposing the error of the Pharisees, Jesus is also lovingly instructing his followers by shepherding them back to the truth. This is the second part of the construction. But I say to you. So, I want you to look at our text with me, beginning in verse 33. <clears throat> Anything more than this comes from evil. Here's the way the text unfolds in, in four parts. Three, actually, but you'll see I've added a fourth. First, a twisting of Scripture. Second, a reminder of sovereignty. Third, a statement of clarity. And then finally, a community of truth. So first, a twisting of scripture. Verse 33, again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. Now, verse 33 is not an exact quotation of a single Old Testament text, but it's an allusion to a number of different passages. Exodus 20, verse 7, Leviticus 19, 12, Numbers 30, verse 2, Deuteronomy 23, verses 21 through 24. What's interesting about what Jesus is saying here is that oaths were both modeled and permitted in the Old Testament. For instance, in Genesis 9, God offered an oath as a guarantee that he would fulfill his promises. As well, people were permitted to invoke the name of God as a means of bolstering the seriousness of a promise they were making. So again, we see that something established in the Old Testament law, something something that had a specific purpose, over time, biblical teaching had been twisted to justify and support unbiblical practices. One theologian writes, words were being mapped on an honesty or obligation scale by the magnitude of the source of their vow. In other words, loads of of religious people had come up with ways that provided them a loophole for their dishonesty. They were making promises they wanted to be able to break. It's a little like a child that makes a promise to their sibling with their fingers crossed behind their back. That's their loophole. It's their way of justifying dishonesty. Listen to D.A. Carson. He explains, A sophisticated system of reasoning judged how binding an oath really was by examining how closely it was related to Yahweh's name. Incredible distinctions rapidly multiplied under such an approach swearing by heaven and earth was not binding, nor was swearing by Jerusalem, though swearing toward Jerusalem was. So you get the picture. The Pharisees and teachers of the law had come up with an elaborate system whereby they could feel spiritual and give the appearance of being spiritual while actually living lives marked by manipulation and dishonesty. Now most of you, most of you know that over the last three weeks there has been a, a pretty clear theme. It began in Jesus' first example in verse 21, and this theme continues all the way through all six examples from verse 21 through verse 48. Jesus is exposing the empty religiosity and danger of legalism. And he's doing this by confronting the Pharisaical emphasis on external obedience while completely ignoring the heart. As long as someone technically obeyed the law, it didn't matter what was happening in their heart. Lust and anger and envy and deceit, these things didn't matter as long as one gave outward appearance and performance of righteousness. Friends, Jesus is confronting the same issue here. He's again emphasizing the importance of the heart. One author writes Jesus understands, listen, Jesus understands the duplicity of the human heart. For people sometimes invoked an oath in order to conceal an attempt to deceive. Brothers and sisters, we, we know what this is like, don't we? We all battle this in some way, the duplicity of our hearts. We want something and then the temptation begins to well up in our hearts. The desires begin to escalate and we, we quickly move from I want this to I need this to I will do this do or say anything to get this. Our sinful desire blossoms into a willingness to deceive. We might even justify or seek to justify our sinful deceit with a misuse of Scripture. Well, well, technically, I didn't do this but you know in your heart exactly what you've done. So friends, students, children, getting in the habit of lying, getting in the habit of lying is not only an incredibly difficult habit to break, but it will only cause destruction. The destruction of a relationship the destruction of a reputation, the destruction of a dream or a goal. And scripture warns that this pattern, this way of life, may even lead to the destruction of your soul. This is the problem Jesus is confronting. This brings us to our second point, a reminder of sovereignty, a reminder of sovereignty. Look at verse 34. Jesus says, but I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. As I mentioned earlier, this elaborate system of oaths had had been concocted by the Pharisees and it had to do, again, with scaling your oath. If you swore by Yahweh, you could not break your promise. But if you substituted the name of Yahweh for something else, something like heaven or earth or Jerusalem or your head, this would scale down how binding your promise actually was so you could come up with an excuse to break it, to lie, to deceive In response to this ridiculous notion, Jesus reminds the crowd and he reminds us that Yahweh is sovereign over everything. What does the text say? Heaven is his throne. Earth is his footstool. Jerusalem is the great city, is the city of the great king. And then who do you think controls the color of the hair on your head? In other words, Yahweh is sovereign over everything, and therefore everything you try to substitute is still inescapably connected to him. In other words, Jesus is saying, you're being a fool. This is ridiculous. These concocted rules that you've made are silly, and even more than that, they are dangerous. You see, the legalism of the Pharisees required, and I want, you to, I want you to get this, the legalism of the Pharisees required not only a wrong view of Scripture, we've seen that numerous times, it required not only a wrong view of Scripture, but also a wrong view of God. The same is true now. Legalism, any system of works based righteousness where we can merit the favor of God by our own good works, this gets the entire message of the Bible wrong and it gets the God of the Bible wrong as well. This is why Jesus views this so seriously. It replaces the unfolding plan of redemption wrought by a holy and sovereign God with a system of works righteousness administered by a God who could be manipulated and bought. One of the best ways, one of the best ways to fight legalism is to preach the whole Bible carefully and present the God of the Bible clearly. This will inevitably lead to a presentation of the glorious Christ who came to ransom sinners all by grace. One of the primary ways Jesus opposes this false teaching is by reminding everyone that God is sovereign. He sees and knows and rules over all things. This brings us to our third point, a statement of clarity. A statement of clarity. Look at verse 37. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Pretty straightforward. Ultimately, Jesus' answer to the misuse and misapplication of Scripture and really the abuse of the Old Testament law for the purposes of dishonesty and deceit was to cut through all the confusion with a a no-nonsense rebuttal. In fact, he sort of wipes oaths away completely and appeals to straightforward honesty. Just say yes or no and mean it. You see, friends, followers of Jesus should be people of such integrity of character and truthfulness of heart that whatever they say is absolutely believable and dependable. This is what Jesus is saying. This is not that complicated. It's not saying it's easy to do, but it's not complicated. Our daily conversation should be truthful and genuine. We we don't need to swear an oath. A simple yes or no is enough for a trustworthy person. Brothers and sisters, do you, do you find yourself constantly having to add dramatic promises or outlandish guarantees to what you're saying? Do you parse your words very carefully, always leaving yourself an out? Are you a man or a woman of your word? Jesus would say to all of us, let what you say be simply yes or no. Now notice the second half of verse thirty-seven. Anything more than this comes from evil. What a sobering and serious statement by Jesus. If you engage in the kind of deceit and dishonesty Jesus confronts in this text, then he is saying that your behavior, listen, your behavior has only one possible source the devil the evil one. We find the same idea in James. In fact, Matthew 5.37 is repeated in James 5.12. Before looking at that connection, consider James 3.6, where James writes this, and the tongue is a fire a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life and is itself set on fire by hell. And then James 5, 12, which will sound very familiar, but above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no so that you may not fall under condemnation. Think about some of those phrases that describe sinful ways of speaking or using your tongue. Comes from evil, set on fire by hell, fall under condemnation. Friends, in the life of a Christian, speaking the truth is a really big deal. And lying, deceit, and all forms of dishonesty are utterly satanic and wicked. In fact, how does Scripture refer to Satan? He is the father of lies. John 8, 44. And in contrast, what does Jesus declare about himself in John 14? I am the way, the truth, and the life. This is why Jesus speaks so seriously about lying. And of course, this is well established in all of Scripture. You won't find a place in Scripture where you're taught something other than the wickedness and the evil of dishonesty. Consider just a few Proverbs for a moment. Proverbs 6, 16 and 17. There are six things that the Lord hates seven that are an abomination to him, haughty eyes, a lying tongue. That's strong language. Proverbs 12, verse 19, truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue is but for a moment. Proverbs 21, verse six, the getting of treasures by a lying tongue is a fleeting vapor and a snare of death. Proverbs 26:28: "A lying tongue hates its victims, and a flattering mouth works ruin. To bring all of this together, making promises that you don't intend to keep or intentionally misleading someone while swearing to them that you absolutely mean what you're saying. In fact, I'm going to add all these qualifications to convince you of that. Friends, this is not the way of Jesus. In fact, it's described as evil. This brings us to our conclusion, twisting of scripture, a reminder of sovereignty, statement of clarity, and now finally, a community of truth. The Pharisees, in their misuse of Scripture and misunderstanding of God, they were influencing followers of Jesus. So Jesus must confront this error because speaking the truth is a hallmark of genuine Christianity. He can't have his followers, those who claim his name, as a community marked by dishonesty and deceit and Lying. Speaking the truth is one of the primary characteristics of the New Testament church. This is one of the chief ways in which the church is countercultural. In a world dominated by dishonesty and deceit, what a good gift it is to belong to a community that loves the truth and speaks the truth. This is what the gospel produces, isn't it? So here's how I want to close this morning before we come to the table. I want to close by reading from Ephesians chapter 4. Take your copy of the scriptures and turn to Ephesians chapter 4. I want you to see and hear what the glorious work of the gospel produces and then how it shapes a community marked by speaking the truth. And I want you to see the staggering contrast between what is described in Ephesians 4 and what Jesus was confronting in Matthew chapter 5. I'm going to skip through this chapter, but let's begin in verse 1. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience when each part is working properly, making the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Now skip down to verse 25. Therefore, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. This is so central to the Christian life it's so central to the Christian community therefore having put away falsehood let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor for we are members one of another be angry and do not sin do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil let the thief no longer steal but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need Be kind, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Brothers and sisters, as God's people, we are a family created by the truth, held together by the truth, And therefore, it only stands to reason that our manner of life and our interaction with each other should be marked by speaking the truth in love. Now, this is not always easy to do. The truth is not always easy to speak, and it's not always easy to hear. This is why we must never separate grace and truth. Randy Alcorn reminds us, truth without grace breeds a self-righteous legalism that poisons the church and pushes the world away from Christ. Grace without truth breeds moral indifference and keeps people from seeing their need for Christ. May God grant us, may God grant us wisdom and strength to walk in grace and truth. If we don't, if we don't, we will destroy the very fabric of this faith family. We will hurt each other, we will dishonor God, and we will destroy our witness. So brothers and sisters, let's commit together. Let's commit together to cultivate a family marked by honesty and transparency, of speaking the truth in love. Let's do this for the glory of God and for each other's good. Let's pray.